Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body at Desert Springs Church. My name is Drew. I'm here today with uh, Dr. R.T. Kelly, a.k.a. <laughs> Ryan Kelly, a.k.a. Mr. Fry Fry, to my kids. That's, yeah. I, That's, I, that I was, love that. That was Biscuit. Biscuit couldn't say Ryan and somehow it turned into Fry Fry. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you it's pulled that It's an old off. nickname from my childhood, actually. Oh, okay. Rye Guy the Fry Guy. Rye Guy the Fry like Guy. That. Oh, that's good. That's good podcast material. Uh, so <laughs> Chase is out. He's at youth camp uh, watching kiddos. So you can, uh, well, he'll be back by the time this podcast comes out. So hopefully he made it okay. Um, Ryan's joining me today. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the book of Galatians, into a kind of a macro theme throughout the book of Galatians, mm-hmm. and that is uh, law and gospel, or what some people will talk about, law versus gospel, or law and gospel. Um, and I was thinking I would title uh, this episode, What's Law Got to Do With It? Mm-hmm. And you can almost hear Tina, Tina Turner singing it, right? Yeah, it was in my head immediately. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's the... In the first at least four chapters of Galatians, that's that question that kind of keeps coming up in the reader's mind, and yeah. Paul anticipates it. And he finally gets to it and says, what's, what's the use of the law? Then why the law? Yeah. So we want to talk a little bit more about that. You've, you've talked about it in your sermons. Uh, Chase has mentioned it. Mm-hmm. We thought we'd spend some extended time on this episode uh, diving into uh, the law. So right that's off the good. bat, Ryan... Uh, Looking at Galatians, we're going to focus just on uh, Paul's use in the book of Galatians. What is the law, in quotes, um, and how does Paul use it in Galatians? Yeah, in Galatians, he means mosaic law specifically. I don't think he means law as the genre of Scripture or as part of Scripture necessarily. Uh, he means the laws that come with the whole Mosaic Covenant. Okay. And so law and covenant are used interchangeably in the book of Galatians. Okay. I think that's really important. That tells us that he's thinking in terms of law-covenant, one thing, the law and the covenant. Again, those words are used interchangeably. He's talking about one thing. Okay. So not Torah, not the whole Torah, as, as, a, as a New Testament Christian would think about the Torah, like right. he says, genre of, of Scripture, but right. specifically the Mosaic Covenant that brought with it Mosaic laws, yes. and specifically the laws like dietary laws, laws of Sabbath, laws yes. of circumcision, all of that. Yeah. Because that's what he was dealing with with the Galatian church, right? That was, right. The, that was the issue. Exactly. The false teachers were telling them to turn back to these laws of the Mosaic Covenant, the uh, circumcision laws, uh, food laws, dietary laws, the laws of the calendar, you could say, um, following special days, etc. Right. Okay, so how about for the rest of the Bible? There are other laws mentioned, right, or other types of law uh, in the Bible. So what, what, are, uh, what are those uses of the law? Yeah, so uh, Galatians 6.2 would be one of those. Uh, love one another and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hmm. I think Paul there is distinguishing between Mosaic law that he's been speaking of previously, okay. and now he's speaking of the law or commandments that are expected of New Covenant Christians today. Uh, and really, that was promised and, and foreshadowed in Jeremiah 31 with the stipulations, or rather the, the promises yeah. of the new covenant. 
God said there that he would write his law on their hearts mm-hmm. in the new covenant. And that's one way, we'll probably get into this more later, but that's one way that the old covenant and new covenant can be distinguished. Uh, the old covenant, the law was not written on the heart. No. Um, you, there was that need throughout the old covenant, and, uh, and the new covenant comes and brings that fulfillment to, to bear uh, yeah. within the Christian life. It, it essentially puts God's um, ways imprinted on our hearts, on our desires, so that we want to do them. Yeah, new hearts. New hearts, New living yeah. hearts. Yeah, we'll circle back to that in just a minute, but before we do, you and Chase both, I believe, have mentioned the three uses of the law at some point in yeah. a sermon. So let's let's uh, dig down on that a little bit. Tell, tell us about the three uses yeah. of the law. These come primarily out of the Reformation, but I think, um, and they're not explicitly in the Bible, but I think that they're biblical and useful. Um, so we can distinguish between civil law, so what God expects for um, governments and nations, that sort of thing, and in the Old Covenant, of course, that was very specific to Israel. That was a whole package of judicial laws. Um, now we can think of perhaps the law that's written on the heart of men that give them conscience so that they aren't worse off than they otherwise would be. We know murder's wrong. Don't right. take other people's stuff. That, that Those sort of laws. That use yeah. of the law. Yeah. yeah. So civil... Um, there's the the use of the law, the second use of the law, which drives us to Christ. It shows us our need mm. for a Savior. Um, I think Chase called this the mirror. So the first use of the law being curb, he said. I think that's yep. good. Yep. And the second use being a mirror. It shows us our sin. It shows us our need for a Savior. And it drives us helpless and hopeless the to schoolmaster. the Savior. The schoolmaster, yeah. right, the guardian, all that. Oh, that's great. And the third use of the law is uh, now that we're redeemed, now that we're forgiven in Christ, uh, we do have a law. We do have commandments. The third use of the law is um, how we live now. Okay. Uh, again, Chase called this the guide. Okay. Uh, I think this is the one where a lot of Christians who who are really understanding grace and, and grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, um, this is where they can, they can struggle. Yeah. Because if it's all, if it's all grace— and, and how is it law? Are we ever? Is there ever law? Does yeah. the does the gospel require anything of us? Um, and we, where we can slip is into uh, what's called antinomianism, is yeah. no law, anti law. Yeah. Um, where now that we we've, we've received grace in Christ, we are free to live however we want, and there actually is no requirement of us. Yeah, there are no obligations. But that's not we we wouldn't agree that that's that's how the New Testament handles. The law of Christ, like you said, and and right, and there and are could, requirements. If someone's allergic to the word law, okay, um, the the epistles spell out expectations yeah. or implications, um, or, walking or, in step with the Spirit. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the indicative imperative distinction. Yeah. Indicatives are what are true of yeah. a Christian because of Christ as a gift by grace, identity through faith alone. And then um, imperatives are in light of that. Here's how you should live. Yeah. Um, and, and no surprise that Paul uses the word command, and he'll sometimes use the word law for those sort of expectations, implications, okay. imperatives, whatever else you'd want to call them. So you're going to preach in chapter five. You will have preached this Sunday um, about 
uh, what could be called a law, a law of Christ, yeah. to love one another. Yeah, it, Paul says there that the whole law is fulfilled yeah. in this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And I think there he means it's summed up. It's um, it, it, He uses fulfilled there in a slightly different way than, say, Jesus does in Matthew 5 mm-hmm. when he says um, the Old Testament hasn't been abolished, yeah. but he came to fulfill the law. Yeah. I think there he means to finish it, to, yeah. to come for the end for which the law intended all along. Yeah. Uh, so there it has more of a bring it to completion kind of yeah. um, angle in Matthew 5. And in Galatians 5, I think he's using it as uh, the whole law can be summed up as yeah. Yeah, yeah. this. All of the laws could be right. found within this one law. Love it's, your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. The horizontal yeah. laws of the Old Testament really yeah. do have at their epicenter yeah. this the simple thing of love your neighbor okay. as yourself. Okay. So the law in that sense, still applies to Christians today to yeah. love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. So, let's let's talk about law versus gospel. I'm, I'm always amused when I see that, and if you've been a Christian for very long, maybe you've heard that term, law versus gospel. Mm-hmm. The verses is what is interesting to me. Um, it just makes me think of like Rocky Balboa versus Ivan Drago, right? <laughs> um, so, t- yeah, talk about how that whole expression came up and, and even... Yeah, what's going on when we talk about law versus gospel? Yeah, in some ways, it's very biblical. Just take Galatians as an example. Paul does pit law against gospel or grace. Mm-hmm. We've been saying all along, he keeps talking about two systems. Yeah. He uses works on the one hand and grace or faith on the other hand. So, uh, could those be interchangeable? Works, yes. law, one side, grace, gospel, yeah, other. yeah. Those are the the two systems that he continues to contrast, and he's fearful that the Galatians began in the grace system, mm-hmm. and they might turn back to the works or law system. So in that way, in that sense, law versus gospel. Well, that's biblical. Paul's doing that in Galatians. He is pitting law versus gospel. Now, he'll also have the stuff in the middle, like Galatians 3 and 4, where he's saying, so what is the purpose of the law? Did it have no purpose at all? And that's when he gets into what we call second Second use of the law. Uh, No, the law was a schoolmaster to drive us to to Christ, Mm -hmm. um, to hold us us over until Christ came, um, to show us our sin, etc. But but if we always think law versus gospel in the sense that gospel never leads to any laws, never has any implications, that there's only the second use of the law, you Mm. can find this kind of thing in certain forms of Lutheranism, which we share the gospel with many conservative Lutherans. However, we would differ in, in maybe this one example in a typical Lutheran worship service on a Sunday morning, there would be an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. And then the sermon would be based on those two readings, and the sermon would really have two parts to it, law, gospel. Hmm. Um, Now, maybe more balance would be what you find in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's three sections, guilt, grace, gratitude. Um, there, with gratitude, we're really talking about third use of the law, mm-hmm. the implications for the Christian. And, uh, and I think that that's, that's a much better way to look at things. So if law, gospel, 
uh, outside of Galatians is used for this, I want to say taxonomy, this, this, um, this breakdown of how to approach genres of Scripture. So like we're talking about the law genre, commands, okay, yep. and the only do the second use thing and drive us to Christ, and then now here comes the gospel part of the sermon, and it gives you hope and encouragement in Christ and Him alone. I think that's a truncated analysis mm. of the Bible. The Bible is a little bit more, uh, well, a little more complex than yeah. that. Yeah. And um, and one thing that misses is the historical redemptive sweep of things okay. where there's Mosaic law having its own specific purposes, and then gospel uh, realities in the New Covenant with those results that come in Christ, in the church, uh, fleshed out in the epistles especially, with certain moral expectations for how to live now in light of grace. Yeah, yeah. Well, well said. Um, okay, so I'm sure many of our podcast listeners are just like me, and they're thinking about, well, Ryan, what about the tripart division of the Mosaic Law, and how does that relate to the three uses <laughs> of the law, right? I mean, are, I, are many really thinking I definitely that? already knew what that meant before I read it on the sheet that you gave me. So <laughs> go ahead and tell us. What in the world is the tripart division of the Mosaic Law, and how does that get confused with what you've already talked about, the, the yeah. uses? Yeah, so the tripart uh, division of the Mosaic Law, this is mostly in the Reformed tradition. You'd find it uh, articulated in something like the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, and basically what it says is that there is a judicial part of the Mosaic Law, so again, that's like civil, that's civil, and that's where it kind of overlaps with what we've already talked about with the three uses of the law, but but they're also distinguishable here, so okay. keep, them, keep them separate in some ways. There's judicial, ceremonial, and moral. That's the tripartizing of the Mosaic law. So judicial, think of things that affect the nation of Israel. Um things that affect society, things that affect your lawn, your neighbor, your property, yeah. yep. the ox that you accidentally killed and mm -hmm. now have to pay back in, in with uh, with some uh, recompense as well. The Cere eye for an eye stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, ceremonial would be um, things related to the, the tabernacle and later the temple, the worship. sacrifices, yeah. worship, all that. And then moral, they would say, um, really are the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So this is how you should live. And the reason I think that this tripartizing of the law came to be is it's one way of explaining how there is some moral responsibility in the New Covenant. Mm -hmm. So they would say judicial part of the Mosaic Law has ceased. We're not a nation anymore like Israel was. The ceremonial part of the Mosaic Law obviously yeah. has ceased. We're not to do sacrifices anymore. Yep. But they would say the moral part mm -hmm. of the Mosaic Law hasn't ceased. That's yeah. part of the eternal law of God uh, and uh, not just tied to the Mosaic Law. Uh, therefore, it remains, and it's part of the, and really a central part of Christian morality and okay. Christian living and the law of Christ and all that. So tell me why you don't think that's. I don't really find accurate. it in Scripture. Okay, and um, maybe more importantly, or at least more definitively, 
Paul in Galatians treats the Mosaic law in the law covenant as one whole thing. Hmm. One whole thing. Jesus does the same thing in Matthew 5. He says the law and the prophets, uh, he didn't come to destroy them, but he did come to fulfill them, to fill them up, to bring them to completion, uh, to, to come to, to bring them for the end uh, to which they pointed yeah. all along, which is him. Okay. So is is this uh, tripart division maybe a little bit of I want to have my Old Testament cake and eat it too, in, in I think continuity? So. I think so. Over over realized continuity. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's a handy way, a convenient way of explaining how there are still expectations for Christians on this yeah. side. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to distinguish between the which you wouldn't disagree with. No, right. and that's what I'm yeah. going to say next. I think it's important to distinguish between the content of law uh-huh. in various covenants okay. and the covenants. So content and covenant. So is there some continuity in the content of moral expectations on Old, co- old Covenant believers yep. and New Covenant believers? To that we would say yes. Yes. Murder is still wrong yeah. on both sides of the Adultery, cross. Yeah. Honor your father and mother, yeah. both sides of the cross. Don't covet, both sides of the cross. Um, Tattoos. No, <laughs> not necessarily. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's one handy or convenient way to speak of the content of laws on both sides yep. of the cross. However, it misses the covenantal distinction. Yeah between Mosaic law and new covenant, yeah. right? So and Mosaic that's a big covenant, yeah. new covenant. I mean, you think of, and really this now is a discussion of covenants, covenants not yeah. so much laws, but you think of how Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 um, really distinguishes between the nature and tone and tenor of Mosaic law on the one side and new covenant on the other side, or Mosaic covenant rather, and new covenant. Yeah, uh, and he says, just look at the way Sinai uh, delivered the Ten Commandments to us. They were written on tablets of stone. Yeah, um, a guy like John Owen would even read into that and read into the fact that the tablets were broken <laughs> mm. as like a foreshadow yeah. of this is a breakable covenant. It's going to have its end, and mm-hmm. you're going to break these laws. Yeah. And this is the very nature and tone and tenor of the covenant. Or if that's a bit of a reach for someone, just think, well, what the whole Sinai scene said, don't touch, you can't come near. It was smoke, it was thunder, it was lightning. Everyone just yeah. fled. It, it wasn't a... Um, a welcome sign, a welcome mat. Yeah, um, it, it wasn't a, an intimate relational thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, now there were relational things, elements of you know God and His people yeah. there, but I think Second Corinthians three and Hebrews would be another text um, that are right in distinguishing not just the um, the timing of the covenants, but the nature of the covenants, the tone of the covenants. One. In 2 Corinthians 3, one, Paul says, is a ministry of death. Mm. The other one is a ministry of life. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So you've mentioned fulfillment. Uh, is there anything else uh, to, to speak of on how the law is fulfilled and in what sense? Um, maybe even just looking at Galatians, you've mentioned Matthew 5 and how Jesus said he came to uh, not 
abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Um, and then you you will uh, you'll preach on chapter five, verse fourteen this Sunday. So, yeah. anything else to say about fulfillment? Yeah, so I think in the Matthew 5 passage, it's important to get the nuances of those two words, abolish and fulfill, because we hear the first part that Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament, and we think, mm-hmm. therefore, it means he came to establish it. Everything's still the same. Right, yep. retain it. Those are some words we would think as um, being follow-ups to not abolishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what he means instead is, and in, in D.A. Carson is so great a, uh, on this in okay. his Matthew commentary, um, he says, Jesus didn't come to do away with the intentions of the Old Testament law. He didn't mm. come with laws out of nowhere that were his own making. Um, no, he's he's standing on the shoulders of the Old Testament. He didn't come to ball up the Old Testament and do away with its purposes. Okay. But its purposes have been served. Therefore, we can say Christ came to fulfill the law. Plerao is the Greek. Okay. It really means to fill it up, top it off, bring it to completion. He came to um, cap off the Mosaic law and bring in something new. Mm. And that's exactly what he does in Matthew 5 in the verses that follow. There's this string of, um, you've heard it said, and then he quotes from the Old Covenant. Uh, he quotes yep. an Old Testament law, um, and, and then, then he say. says, but I say unto you, yep. and he advances what was mm. there in the Old Covenant. Perfect example mm. would be, uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, I say unto you, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in yes. your heart. And Christ isn't just interpreting the no. law in that moment. No. No no Jew up until that point would have been expected to think that the lust of sight was equal to adultery. So Christ Christ was taking it and, and doing something yeah. else. He was he, elevating he was, it. He was elevating it. He was internalizing it. Yep. Or you could say spiritualizing it in a good sense, not yeah. in a bad sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's also seen in just the language, but I say unto you, he's, yeah. he he's is speaking, speaking with great authority. Yeah. I mean, he's essentially communicating that he is giving fresh revelation, yeah. which you've heard it said past tense, but I am saying unto you yeah, right well, now. And, and it connects to the internalization of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, yes. that it would be on our hearts. Yeah. And so Jesus makes that connection and, and... Carry, carries it on. And that's probably what he means by your your uh, righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were pretty stellar at dotting the I's and crossing the T's of obeying yep. the Mosaic law. Yep. But Jesus is giving them something higher, uh, more lofty, and uh, in saying that if your righteousness doesn't exceed the Pharisees, yeah. you, you won't enter into heaven. Because, yeah, the inside of the cup was yeah, dirty. Right, yeah. right. The heart is what yeah. really matters. Oh, that's excellent. And uh, yeah, so if people didn't get to hear the sermon, go back and listen to it, hear more about uh, chapter 5, verse 14, now the whole law is fulfilled in one word of love. Um, let's skip through now and talk about, um, yeah, talk about the new covenant. Um, what, is, what, what does the new covenant require? You, we've mentioned murder, adultery, um, that Christ picked up and ramped up for us, what does the new covenant require or expect uh, of a Christian, and how do we know? 
Well, what if we first talked about what the Old Testament um, required but doesn't anymore in the New Covenant? So we've said already that it's, um, it's a whole system. It should be treated as a whole, and Paul speaks of the Mosaic Covenant as one big thing. Yes, but as we think of the content of moral expectations from old era to the new era, uh, remember there's continuity and discontinuity. Um, so murder, that, re- that remains, yep. that, that's on both sides of the cross. There are some things, and maybe it's um, already just such a given in people's minds as we've worked our way through Galatians, but um, of course sacrifices, those are no more. Uh, the food laws, uh, the feasts, the Old Testament calendar, uh, circumcision, all these things, as to use the language of Colossians 2, all these things were shadows yeah. of the thing to come, and Christ is the substance. Uh, and so now that the substance has come, we don't any longer need the shadows. Those yeah. shadows anticipated and foreshadowed uh, Christ's coming in various ways, so food laws don't do it the same way that, um, say, circumcision does. Yeah. If you want to get into those specifics, we right. can. Yeah. Um, but but Sabbath would be another one of those, I think. Mm-hmm. Not all Christians say this, uh, but I think that um, the Sabbath, uh, as a part of the Ten Commandments and as part of the Mosaic legislation or, or Mosaic law, that's been fulfilled. Um, Christ has brought that to completion. He embodies now what that was pointing to all along. Uh, in the Old Testament law, if a guy picked up a stick on the Sabbath, that means he you know, did just a stick's worth of work on the yeah. Sabbath, that man was stoned to mm-hmm. death uh, because the analogy of the gospel is that you can't pick up a stick of your own righteousness yeah. and hold it up and commend it to God and trust in it, yeah. uh, or else you're outside the gospel. You don't get the gospel. Uh, so now that Christ has fulfilled that and he's done all the work, we now rest in him. So Matthew 11, come unto okay. me, all you who are weary and heavy yeah. laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah. So I think it's important to remember what has been fulfilled in Christ um, before we talk about um, what now remains or what now um, is expected of Christians mm-hmm. in the new covenant. Okay. So your turn. What, what's in the new covenant now that's expected of us uh, by way of, you know, implications of the gospel, obligations, responsibility, or laws? Yeah, yeah. Think of uh, all the all the imperatives given in, given to us uh, by both Christ and Paul throughout throughout the Gospels and Paul's uh, letters. Um, if you read read through the Gospels carefully, uh, Christ gives quite a few mm, yeah. uh, expectations. Yeah, uh, you've already mentioned one. I mean, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. That's uh, that's not so externalized that we're gonna you go around and and we're gonna tithe more than the Pharisees did, or we're gonna pray more than the Pharisees did. Um, but that that's those are pretty lofty expectations. Um, I think of uh, just the a sacrifice of um, um, our lives and and how mm. we uh, it's uh, Romans twelve kind of stuff where we're where we, our worship uh, our daily worship our yeah. corporate worship is is expected of us because of uh, because of our identity as yeah. a new covenant community. Um, 
And then, um, and then, yeah, and then there's tons throughout the epistles with Paul. Yeah. It's it's walk this way, love, forgive, right. uh, care, bear. All yeah. these, all these. Don't live like the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah put off, put on. In Colossians, you've got we just got uh, a lot uh, of of what you could call gospel implications for how we uh, live as a gospel community. I would. I'd want to. I had some more about the Sabbath because, yeah, since you since you brought it up, um, I think that would be one that that people would struggle with. Of okay, we're we're looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, keep the Sabbath holy. Um, how do we how do we do that? Uh, you mentioned Matthew eleven. Um, where are some other places in the New Testament you would point people if if you're trying to help them understand what we would call a New Covenant perspective on Sabbath? Yeah. Well, what we do find in the New Testament is that Sunday is referred to as the Lord's Day, a celebration of the resurrection, and it seems like that's when the Christians met together. Okay, see that in Acts? Yeah. Uh, You see John uh, in in Revelation, Revelation, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Um, So it's not that there are no special days for the Christian, but just the fact that the special day moved from Saturday to Sunday is is itself significant. Yeah, uh, it went from the last day to the first day. Now the question is whether you should carry over the rest obligations of the old covenant into this yep. now day of worship yep. called the Lord's Day. Can't pick up and sticks some, on Sunday now, <laughs> right? Or or wash your car, yeah. or even um, mom or or the family shouldn't you know do too much work in preparing the family dinner yep. on Sunday. Yeah. Um, okay. So some Christians, and maybe more in the Reformed tradition than not, would say, "Yeah, those things still apply." I'd push back and say, "Yeah, but." The specifics of Sabbath obligation that you find in the Old Covenant, like no one's stoning mom for bacon on yeah. Sunday afternoon, and no one's stoning, um, you know, anyone for doing some yard work. Uh, yeah. Now maybe maybe that's not pleasing. Maybe you could say that the Lord's Day is still to be a kind of day of rest, and. I don't know. I, I'm sympathetic to that. Okay. Partly because it's in creation. Um, God mm-hmm. worked six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. It mm-hmm. does seem like there's a, a rhythm of six and one. Yeah. Six days of work, one day of rest. I think if we're Christians, we better not treat Sundays just like the world treats them. Um, so I think maybe a, a, a better application of the six and one principle for the Christian today could be something like kids' sports. Are you going to live just like the world and get in as much kids' sports as the okay. league requires of you? Yeah. Or are you going to prioritize the meeting of the saints together in corporate worship and treat the Lord's Day like it's a special day? That doesn't mean that sports can't happen on Sunday, um, at least for me. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, a game... Um, early on a Sunday morning, I think Will sometimes would have a, a hockey mm-hmm. game early on a Sunday morning, and Sarah would take them and then be back uh, in time for church. Uh, we've done that sort of thing before. But I think yeah. on the one You're hand— You're not trying to give people a new law. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, that. no. But, thank but, you for that. But, but expectations. For, I'm just trying to think of how do we yeah. flesh out yeah. that uh, we're not saying seven days— 
treat them all the same. As New Covenant Christians, the resurrection is so significant that it should actually shape our week. Yeah, That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. Uh, How you choose to do that, I think that's up to every Christian to decide. That's good. Uh, But I don't think that the moral obligations of physical rest that were found in the Old Covenant just carry over to the new covenant, and the only thing that changes is the day yeah. of the week. To I don't use, believe that. To use Paul's language in Galatians, it, it would, he, I think he would say, if you're going to keep it a little bit of it, you got to keep all of it. Yeah. You're going to keep a little bit of the law, you got to live by the whole law. Right. Um, so, in thinking also about this, um, about how Jesus ramped up adultery and murder, I, I, think, I think I heard you say something along those lines of, Jesus ramped up the Sabbath as well. So he didn't actually give us less expectations about the Sabbath. He actually ramped it up into now uh, we rest in Christ all the time. Every day. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews 4 would be kind of the classic. We cease from our labor right. and we enter into his, his right. rest. Right. Um, that's so good. And another place that I, I think of, I can't remember where it's at. You can help me here. Is it Matthew 20 or Matthew 22? where the disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath mm. and, and Jesus defends that yeah. uh, to, the, to the scribes and Pharisees. And he's also accused of breaking the Sabbath when he heals right. on, the, on the Sabbath. So and, it would seem that Jesus had a different perspective about the actual Sabbath um, d- during, during those times or was, or was using those moments to teach uh, the, the scribes and Pharisees and his disciples about, about what he was doing with the Sabbath. I think he was foreshadowing a change in the Sabbath in those moments, not saying, hey, you misunderstood the Sabbath all along. Right. I think, because what does he say? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, that's his basis for saying, don't you uh, pick on the disciples for doing this. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mm. That means he's in charge of it. That means he's he's the one that lays out the, the... ramifications or the the specifications of it yeah uh so it's his to change it's his to mm-hmm. alter it's him it's his to take up and to take to the cross and through the cross and the resurrection so that we rest in him that's really good so let's jump now to resources first uh scripture where can yeah. people go if they're wanting to study this more and see see this idea of of new covenant uses of the law um how can, uh, yeah, where would you point people to? Yeah, we've already spoken of Matthew 5. I, I mentioned Second Corinthians 3. That's a key passage. Uh-huh. Galatians, all over the place. The entire book. Right. Colossians 2 is a place I mentioned. It's short there, but it's very powerful in talking about, you know, this thing the of shadows, shadows yeah. and substance. Uh, and therefore, Paul says there, uh, let no one... Uh, pass judgment on you or disqualify you on these specific things of old covenant regulations because hmm. they're, they were shadows in Christ as the substance. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 7 and following um, deal with uh, the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, Paul, inter- or sorry, the writer of Hebrews interacts. <laughs> <laughs> Showing your hand there a little bit. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Writer of Hebrews uh, interacts with uh, Jeremiah 31 extensively yeah. in the specifics of the new covenant. Um, and really that goes all the way into uh, really chapter 10. I was going to say, isn't the entire book of Hebrews just a, an exposition of a lot of yeah. Old Testament? Yeah. yeah. You, could, you could think of Hebrews as a book about old versus new yeah. or old in 
contradistinction with the new. So even from the very beginning Better, of best. Hebrews yeah. is, uh, you know, in various times, in various ways, God spoke to our forefathers. Yeah. Now Old he Testament. speaks in his son. New. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Uh, key passages in Acts would be Acts 10, where uh, apparently the food laws are <laughs> officially fully dropped uh, and Peter gets the it. The vision. Yeah. yeah, the vision of take up and eat these meats mm. that still have blood on them. Mm, praise They've the Lord. strangled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Peter is slow to get it, but he gets it. Mm. Uh, and that's significant. And then he yeah. immediately begins table fellowship with, with Gentiles, Gentiles like Cornelius. Yeah. Acts 15 would be another. That's the Jerusalem Council. We've interacted with that in our study of Galatians. But that the question there is circumcision yeah. and whether Gentiles need to be circumcised first before they can become Christians. Yeah. And it's a bit of a debate, but yep. uh, there's a definitive answer on the other side, and yeah. the answer is no. Oh, that's really good. Uh, all right, how about books, resources, if somebody wants to yeah, read, read outside of the Bible for, for some more help on this? Yeah, I jotted down some of my favorite books on this. Um, several are by Tom Schreiner, who's a professor at Southern Seminary. He's also an elder at uh, my daughter's church there in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, good guy and one of our best New Testament scholars, I think, mm. living today. Yeah, um, He's written a little book called Covenant and God's Purposes for the World. So that's just going through covenants and um, what, how they work together, how they fit together in the grand scheme of things from Old Testament to New. Um, he also has a really helpful book called 40 Questions on Christians and Biblical Law. Uh, so that, that whole series of 40 questions is very handy. Um, really, that whole series is great. But um, his, his book specifically on law for the Christian uh, really great, 40 questions. Um, then another book that comes to mind is um, Steve Wellam and uh, Trent Hunter, alumnus yep, of I've Desert of Springs. Um, they wrote together a book called Christ from Beginning to End, um, which really just lays out how the, the Bible and the Bible story flows and fits yeah. together. It's a great introduction to what we call biblical theology, yep. um, taking it one biblical covenant as a, at a time. Um, and there's also a book uh, by Steve Wellam, uh, at least edited by Steve Wellam and Parker, and uh, I think it's called Progressive Covenantalism. And, um, <laughs> Just rolls off the tongue. It, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's one <laughs> label, that, that word or that phrase, yeah. Progressive Covenantalism, okay. is one label for essentially the view of law and covenants that we've been describing here in this podcast. And what How one been, covenant relates to the, the next and... Yeah, yeah. How how there's a how the whole there's distinction the between old covenant and yeah. new covenant and a priority to the new covenant. Yeah, um, it, it goes through topic after topic. That's really you know. So Sabbath would be a chapter in that book, and other things as well. Excellent. Very helpful book. I think you've referred to me to Kevin D. Young's Ten Commandment. Yeah, little book. That's yeah. a that's a small booklet. Yeah, um, uh, really helpful and. Uh, and there's some overlap to our episode on on covenants. So yeah. Chase and I did a podcast a few podcasts ago on covenants. Uh, we didn't go too deep into any one covenant, but just talked about the existence of the major covenants in the Bible. Um, so I think I think this uh, discussion we've just had will pair well with that. So if you wanted to go back and listen to that one uh, to get a little bit more of an overview of the covenants, um, 
and and then this is uh yeah this is good continuation of it well ryan thanks so much uh i, I hope true. and pray that yeah you, if you've been listening you've been helped by this and challenged if you have any questions uh reach out to to me or ryan at the church or uh any questions in general about uh about these things or about the podcast you can email info at dscabq.com um that's all for now on behalf of ryan kelly I'm Drew Hodge. Let's keep spreading God's glory broader and deeper.